You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Hello, thank you for listening. Charlotte Greenway here with episode 89 of the Saturday edition of the Nick Luck Daily podcast. Friday the 4th of August and we're four days down with one to come from the 2023 Qatar Goodwood Festival. We've seen some inspired, some impressive, some deserved and some meaningful successes throughout the week. And we're going to look back and reflect on these in this episode. The inspired has to be that of Quickthorn in Tuesday's Group 1 Goodwood Cup as Tom Marquand jumped out the stalls with one plan in mind and that was to go hard and not look back. He was clear of the field by the second furlong and stretched further and further clear as they went round the bottom bend and then under the trees. Tom Marquand got a breather into Quickthorn at the top of the hill and although the field closed the gap considerably, he still crossed the line six lengths clear of Emily Dickinson, Coltrane and Eldar Eldaroth who finished in a bunch for second, third and fourth. An inspired ride with the horse to match and Quickthorn's trainer Huey Morrison explained to Nick after the race just how his horse was able to put in that performance. He's got real speed uh, and nobody really uh, did recognition of doing that for two miles is difficult for people to really accept. Um, you know, the, first, the second and third final were very quick, even the penultimate final was quite quick. And you know, as Oshin said, we couldn't go with them. He, he's not called Quick Thorn for nothing. <laughs> There's an, an extraordinary picture of him that Dan Abraham took yesterday with all four feet off the ground as he's passing the line and the others toiling in his wake. It seems that when he really sort of is wound up and reaches sort of full, full pelt, he's just, he's just got a, a remorselessness about him that you don't see in, in, in that many horses. I mean, is, does he exhibit that at home? Is that the sort of horse he is generally? Yes, when he, 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 we usually try to drop him in behind. Otherwise, it'll do too much behind another horse. <clears throat> Otherwise, he'll, uh, he does too much. But he, you, you can have your back turned to the the gallop, or the wood, you know, the all-weather woodchuck gallop, and you can you know when he goes past because you you the, the time lapse between each stride is so different from every other horse's. And, and you, you look at him and the speed he showed and the times he ran and the sectionals he put in and you think, well, surely he's a horse that could, could actually do something quite special over, say, a mile and a half. But is that not the case? Well, you know, he still wanted to rule Ascot over a mile and a half. Uh, I've always I felt um, that on deep ground over a mile and a half, he could be, he, he could be that... Yeah, nearly as good. Um, and I did, the trouble is, we've all, he's run on deep ground last autumn and in autumn before when he probably got when he's gone over the top. You know, he put so much into his racing. He, you know, he he goes over the top by September. So uh, we've all, I think we've been slightly led astray by his inner, by thinking is he doesn't go on the deep ground at Longchamp when probably he's just had enough for the year. So, so my my crazy my crazy scheme that that I, I I cooked up was that maybe you could give him a break and then freshen him up and run him in the arc. But I, I don't know whether you'd be up for that kind of thing. 
Oh, well, I'm game for anything. I'm sure Lord Blythe, he's, he's one who who made sure that we ended up at Goodwood. I was, I, I was quite happy to take the easy route and go back to France for the Group 2 and then go to the Lonsdale. But he, he was one saying, well, we've got to go for a, a, the Group 1. And, um, and, you know, good on him. I've, I sort of bullied him, uh, not so sleepy, to go for the Grade 1. And he, he won, he's won a Grade 1. So it's extraordinary that it's, uh, a couple with half, four or five mares have bred bred both a grade one winner and a group one winner in the last 18 months. Interestingly, some of the jockeys in behind were called into the stewards' room after the race to account for their actions of letting Quickthorn go off so far in front. And one of those was David Egan aboard the fourth Eldar Elderoff. And this is how he felt looking back on the race. From, from my point of view, I think that the damage was done very early and very quickly in the early stages of the race. Um, Tom was going sort of 12, 12 second furlongs along the bottom for the first couple of furlongs and he's going further and further clear and by the time he had created that large margin it's at the point of the track where it starts to climb and I just feel I'd say from my point of view and the others riding in the race if we start to close up that gap um, at that crucial part of the race where we probably needed to close it, we'd probably sacrifice our chance of winning or even running well, you know, because um, on uh, testing conditions, it's there's not many horses can do what, what Quick Thorn did yesterday, you know. It, it was very interesting. Yesterday, I think the Racing Post TV um, put up a clip where Asheen Murphy, who was riding Coltrane, who was leading the peloton, leading the rest of you for most of the race, said, you don't want to give a horse like Quickthorn too much rope. He's ridden Quickthorn a whole bunch of times. He knows that. So to what extent are you guys taking your cue from the person who's leading the, the rest of the pack? What, to what extent are you taking your cue from the judgment of, in this case, Asheen, but it could be anyone on any given day? Yeah, and I remember Oshin uh, saying to the press that Coltrane, just take Coltrane for example, he's a horse with quite a short burst of speed and probably can uh, sustain that for a really long period of time. So I understand Oshin's thought processing, the way he rode it, exactly like that. As he said, he's ridden quick time before. He was leading the pack and he thought it would sacrifice his chances going in and following him and um, I felt I was in the, probably in a similar boat, I sat directly behind um, Oshin and uh, you know, I didn't want to sacrifice my winning chance but the, the crow had flown as you could say. Um. The stewards called some of you in afterwards. I'm not quite sure why they didn't call all of you in, but anyway, they called some of you in. Um, what did they say? So they described, the people that were called in were described as uh, the jockeys capable of making a manoeuvre that were leading the pack or sitting close enough to do something about it. Um, I don't know myself why uh, the whole field wasn't called in because Goodwood's a switchback track. There's plenty of space if somebody did want to make their move. So, um, in that, that point of view, I don't know why only some of us were called in, but we all give our explanations and our thought process in seeing the horse go so far clear and then why the reasoning why we didn't go chasing him with, uh, with a mile to run, which was possibly expected of us, but 
um, obviously none of us told was the right thing to do. Then the impressive came on Wednesday when Paddington showed just how versatile he is by making the running to take the Sussex Stakes over a mile on soft ground, landing his fourth Group 1 in the space of 10 weeks. It appeared that nothing can faze this son of Siuni, and after the race, Aidan O'Brien hailed his talents, while Ryan Moore mentioned that this could be as good a horse as he sat on. Quite the compliment from Ryan, and here's Lydia Hislop on whether she believes, from what she's seen, he's worthy of that praise. I think he's building up a strong case for it. Uh, I mean, obviously, we haven't long said goodbye to St Mark's Basilica, who was such a brilliant winner, winner of the Eclipse, uh, went on to win the Irish Champion Stakes, but he only ran four times. I say only, only, only won four Group Ones as a as a three year old. Um, whereas Paddington and has shown more versatility. St Mark's Basilica won from a mile to an extended ten furlongs. I would argue that his very best form um, maybe might be a little bit, the Eclipse win, for example, might be a bit deeper than Paddington's. But Paddington, the the word that Aidan O'Brien consistently uses about him is unusual in terms of the way he takes his racing, the fact he's putting on weight after his races, how quickly he, bounced back, he bounces back to himself after running huge. And that has meant, I suggested to Ed yesterday that they've largely improvised the campaign in response to what they're seeing from Paddington in terms of the vast progress he's made from winning the Irish Guineas going on to the St James's Palace Stakes. Uh, after that, Aidan was talking about the unusual progress prior to the eclipse, hence they went there as well as then coming to the Sussex Stakes. So yeah, he's beginning to build up a CV that shows versatility from a mile to 10 furlongs at the very top level. He's impervious in terms of ground, albeit he hasn't had really fast ground yet, I would note. Um He's, he handled it, handled soft yesterday really well. He's fine in terms of tactics. You can really um, put put him anywhere. Like yesterday he had to make his own running with a, a lack of um, a lack of pace in the race. Otherwise, um, he is being campaigned like the horse that he's most often compared with, and that is Giant's Causeway, the Iron Horse. He's been given he's being given a, a punishing three year old campaign on which he is absolutely thriving. Um, and so, and again, I think at the moment, Giants Causeway maybe has, if we're talking pure numbers, might just have the edge on him. Yeah. But you know, Brian said yesterday that he's quicker than, than Giants Causeway. He's a different kind of horse. And if they were to go for the arc, and they seem to be thinking of that, he's going to prove himself incredibly versatile. It was interesting, I thought, after the race, that connection seemed reasonably clear by their standards as to where the next step would be. And it, it seemed relatively unequivocal if you can be relatively unequivocal that it would be the jump on international uh yes uh, that that seemed to be the next step provided you know he comes out of this race well and given his track record on that you would expect him to do so what happens next is more interesting the irish champion stakes wasn't offered by aiden o'brien or any of the coolmore team i think um, I asked Aidan O'Brien about it. He said it was a possibility, but obviously he has horses like Auguste Rodin in the mix um, that he might be thinking of that race for. Um, he was very keen to stress that Australia could be a target and that would be the Cox Plate. Um, I asked him about America and again, he said a possibility, but I've got other horses that maybe come into the mix for that. Um, and most interesting of all, bearing in mind that arc entry that he had, and you know, we're used to seeing 
a lot of horses of Aidan O'Brien's having these entries in a, over a vast range of distances. He, he does enter a lot early. And so when you saw the arc entry next to Paddington's name, you wouldn't necessarily draw as much significance from it as you might with other operations. However, um, immediately after the race, it emerged that um, Ryan Moore suggested that that the arc is a, a per perfectly reasonable target, that Michael Tabor um, had mentioned it as well. And I was unaware of uh, these conversations when I asked Ryan Moore and then Aidan O'Brien about the arc. And the arc is clearly being considered. Just a quick line also from Henri Bozo, who manages Ecurie de Monceau, where Paddington was raised in France, on whether, knowing the family as he does, he believes he's got the stamina for an arc. Yeah, I do think. I mean, uh, we bred Sotsa Spicy Uni out of Galileo Mare who won the arc. And um, yeah, I, I think so. I think he's uh, just shown his speed winning of a mile, but... Uh, uh, on pedigree, uh, he definitely has the, uh, the possibility to, to run in the arc. Yes, it, it, it would make sense to me, yeah. It was a deserved Group 3 success for Mick Appleby when his Royal Ascot winning two-year-old Big Evs landed the Malcolm under Jason Hart. Maybe pigeonholed by some as the master trainer of handicappers, Mick showed on Wednesday that given the ammunition, he's capable of readying two-year-olds and group performers too. It was quick ground at Ascot when Big Evs won, but Wednesday was totally different and tough conditions for a two-year-old. So when Nick spoke to Mick after the race, he asked whether he was worried about the soft ground beforehand. Yes, I mean, obviously, it was a bit of concern with the ground. Um, we thought, well, we've got to try, try on soft ground at some point. Uh, I mean, I think he coped with it, but I don't think it was ideal for him. Um, and he he showed great tenacity and resolution. Has he has he always been a horse that's been a, a generous horse to to deal with? Oh yes, yes, yeah. I mean, ever since we've had him, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very easy to train. It's just, I mean, it's just got bags of speed. And would you would you work him with with your best older sprinters? Would you have to work him with your best older sprinters to actually try and try and get a proper piece of work into him? Yeah, I mean, obviously, none of the two-year-olds could live with him up the gallops. Yeah, so I mean, he works with the likes of um, Russell and Hanash. And if he's working with a horse like Russell, what's the what's the result normally? Well, he goes just as well as him. Which is which is pretty extraordinary for for a two-year-old. Pretty good for yeah. a two-year-old. Yes, exactly. Um, there was chat yesterday about about sliding him into the into the Nunthorpe with obviously that huge weight allowance, the 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 all age Group One sprint at, at York Seaboard Festival. Is that something that you're keen on? Uh, I'm I'm not sure to be honest. I think I'm still sitting on the fence a bit. Um, I know the the owner's very keen to win the Nunthorpe. Um, so I think I think it will be supplemented for it, and then we sort of may, may, maybe look at going to the Breeders' Cup. So that Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint that would be the the, the race for him there. Yeah, yes, yeah. So I think I mean that's sort of in the pipeline now as well. So that's that's perhaps a likely target. He's got a Jim Crack entry as well, and a, a Mill Reef entry. Obviously, they're both over six furlongs. Are you minded to keep him very much to five for the moment? Possibly at the moment, but I mean, where, where he stayed on yesterday in that ground, I mean, suggests that he, he would get a six-turn on quick ground, I would think. 
And I mean, he has got bags of speed, so whether you'd want to try him over six yet, I don't think we would. I mean, we'd probably just stick it at five at the moment. Finally, the meaningful winner of the week, following up from his success at the Royal Meeting, was Desert Hero in Thursday's Group 3 Gordon Stakes for His Majesty the King and Her Majesty the Queen. It's always wonderful to see a winner in the Royal Silks any day of the week at any meeting, but at a major festival it's especially special. And this one more meaningful than most, as Desert Hero is now one of the leading contenders for the final classic of the season, the St Ledger. Trained by William Haggis, he joined Nick on this morning's podcast to reflect on the performance of the Royal winner. Well, he's developing and going the right way. And, you know, if you give these horses time, they can repay you, hopefully. And, and this horse is definitely taking a step in the right direction. Was he always a horse who, who needed to be a little bit of a project that you were going to have to be a bit circumspect with earlier in the year? Yeah, I mean, even last year, he won his maiden quite comfortably at Haydock. Then we ran him in the Solario, and that knocked him back a bit. And then he won a novice race at Redcar right at the back end. was pretty, he was a big short price, 7-1 to one on or 4-1 to one on or something. And he was pretty unimpressive, I thought. Um, didn't thrive at all in the winter or the spring. And you could see every rib when he ran in the London Gold Cup. And it, it sort of, he found himself in front of Tom and so rode a race from the front, but he got beat. Then the step up in trip has helped him, but he's, he's maturing now and he's looking better and better uh, with each run, so that's a good sign. Uh, the market may not have been confident yesterday. I know you hold him in, in very high regard. What impressed you the most about yesterday's performance? Well, he did what I hoped he'd do because the the... The opposition looked like stayers to me. I saw Chesapeake win at Hamilton and he ground the, the field into the ground, so to speak. Loves a bit of cut in the ground and he's a thorough galloper. I didn't know anything about Aiden Source. Clearly didn't run his race. And I, I just thought it, he might have uh, more foot than them. Because uh, he, he showed a pretty nice turn of foot from the turn at Ascot. And I hope that would happen. So with a smallish field, Tom could take his time. And actually, he he was, you know, we were obviously watching him and him alone, or mainly. Um, but he looked like he was always going to win to me. And uh, it was just a question of whether he got out. And Maureen rang me straight after the race and said, I think I would have killed Tom uh, if he hadn't won today. And I said, well, I don't think you'd have had had a chance to and leave John Warren would have killed him first <laughs> but he got out and uh, won comfortably and, uh, and uh, yeah it was good but don't, I think Tom felt he was always under control don't you think though I, I thought that manoeuvre was really interesting yesterday when he dived in rather than taking the kind of more obvious straight back route of going outside and I thought isn't that just um, redolent of a rider who's absolutely at the top of his game peak of his powers willing to you know knowing where the margins are knowing he can take a risk absolutely but you've got to have the horse as well Nick and you know that's it's well known that ducking up the inside that uh, you you asked the French jockey in the race after ducking up the inside is a precarious route and it's much easier to shift to the outside but also the ground was a bit quicker on the inside yeah but he was on it for much you know, and he was lucky that James wasn't on the inside 
Um, so he was able to nip up the inside, which was, which was good. But you've got to have the horse to do it in those circumstances. You are good with these progeny of See the Stars. Um, wh- why do they... It, it, it can't just be luck, can it? There must, there must be something that, that suits the way you do things. Well, we're very lucky to have plenty of them. Uh, he's a phenomenal stallion. And obviously we're, we're very well supported by Mrs. Choi, who owns it. But uh, I, I think most of my owners know that uh, it, one way to get to, uh, uh, to me is, is by sending us see the stars. So I'm, a, I'm obviously a big fan. We've got a lot of them, as I say. So uh, we've got a few slow ones, uh, but not that many. And we've got some lovely horses, and they're all a bit different. You know, there are some have got a bit more speed than others. I mean, obviously, Baid had lots of speed, um, but uh, this horse is going to stay and stay well. And there's lots of stamina in the pedigree. So you don't think he's too quick to win a St. Ledger? No, I don't. I think he'll stay. But you see where I'm where I'm coming from. Yeah. No, I think he. I think. I think you need a bit of speed in that race too. Be able to go where you want and obviously the stamina horses will try and draw the sting out of it but what's good about this horse to me is that you want on very quick ground at Ascot and he's now one on pretty slow ground at Goodwood so ground doesn't seem to bother him uh, which stands you in good stead not only for, for next month but also for the future so this this royal classic dream it, it's still on we thought it might be might be on in June it's actually going to be on in September I think it's, it's possible. Um, I'm sure, you know, he's a credible candidate now. And, OK, he's only won a, a handicap in a Group 3 race, but he's progressive. As I say, he goes on any ground, and he seems it seems likely that he'll get the trip. So, why not have a go? So there's a quick roundup from the action so far. Plenty more to look forward to tomorrow where we've got Free Wind looking to get back to winning ways in the Lily Lang Treat for the same connections as Nostrum's conqueror this afternoon, Epictetus. And if she can't give Frankie a final Goodwood Festival winner, maybe Mum's tipple will oblige in the Stewards' Cup. Thank you for listening. Have a glorious weekend. And Nick will be back on Monday morning. Goodbye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.